Hello and welcome to a Twilight Debate. I'm Thomas Godfrey. The four men you're about to see on stage each want to become the next MP for Christchurch. To do that, more than ever, they need the votes of young people. Our audience is comprised of students from Twynham School and Twynham Sixth Form, some of which can vote and will be voting for the first time in six days' time from this being recorded. Some of them can't, but want to get an insight into their voting future. As per the rules, none of the candidates have seen or their teams have seen the questions they're about to be asked. They are set questions. The debate is split into roughly seven eight-minute segments, and that will be followed by time for free debate. In the last 15 minutes of the debate, you'll have the time to ask questions to any of your candidates. Of course, if you are watching on YouTube, please do get involved. Click the I in the top right-hand corner and vote for who you think won the debate at the end. Our audience has agreed to remain silent throughout to ensure we have a full and fluent debate. There is no noise at all, except right now, as we welcome our four candidates for the Christchurch constituency to the stage. Welcome from the Conservatives, Sir Christopher Choke, from Labour, Andrew Dunn, from the Liberal Democrats, Mike Cox, and from the Green Party, Chris Rigby. Now, we have asked the candidates to prepare a 60-second opening statement, and that centres around the question, why should I get your vote? We start in a moment with Sir Christopher Choke. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, some people think I'm a bit long in the tooth, and I can tell you that one of the things about which I've got greatest pride is that back in 1996, one of the first things I did was to ensure that we had a sixth form in Christchurch, and that was one of my main political achievements. And it's a great pleasure today to see, I think, the best part of 450 members of the Twynham Sixth Form here, which wouldn't have been here but for that change which we made, because prior to that, this school and the Grange and Highcliffe only had uh, schooling up until pe before people went to the Sixth Form and they had to go to Brockenhurst or elsewhere. So it's great to see such a, a gathering here today. I'm in favour of getting Brexit done and I'm also in favour of this country living within its means and ensuring that we get better quality public services for the future. Thank you, Sir Christopher. Thank you, thank you. We're going to move on to Labour and Andrew Dunn. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for being here. My name is Andrew Dunn and I'm proud to be the Labour Party candidate. I have a business degree and I served as a police detective as well as running my own small business and now work as a youth worker at Summerford Youth Club. So why should I get your vote? We have four million children living in poverty and rising and more people than ever sleeping rough on the streets as temperatures plunge. While students leave university £50,000 in debt because of Tory and Lib Dem austerity policies. I apologies, I think we are just having a sound issue very quickly. Frankie, can you pause the timer, please? <laughs> well, this is live, isn't it? That's what they say. Uh, the show must go on. I think we fixed it well enough. Uh, Andrew Dunn. Andrew Dunn. Okay. Um, Students will leave university £50,000 in debt because of Tory and Lib Dem austerity policies. We have a Tory MP here who votes against measures to prevent climate change and blocks bills to protect young women from upskirting and female genital mutilation. Vote for me on December the 12th and you'll be voting for an MP who works in and really understands our community and acts with the honesty and integrity that you should expect and deserve from your MP. 
You'll also be voting for a party who will put the environment and the people at the heart of everything it does. Thank you. Young and old alike, to make sure we live in a country that works for everybody, not just Thank a few. You. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. We do need to rattle through these to get on to your questions. You have uh, so very kindly submitted. We're going to move now to the Green Party with Chris Rigby. Thank you all for coming. Um, this election is a really serious election. It is a one-time one opportunity. This is the climate election. We have got until 2030 to make serious inroads towards beating climate change and limiting global warming to one and a half degrees and not letting it accelerate beyond control. All of us are going to sit here and we're going to tell you we've got climate policies and environmental policies and this policy and that policy. What you need to do is consider who you can trust to put those policies in place and who can look after the planet for your future, because that's what it is really. That's what we're talking about. When we look at our Green Party policies, there is only one Green Party, there is only one Green New Deal, and it comes from us. We are also putting in a sustainable economy bill to ensure that the economy functions with the environment and a future generations bill, which requires decisions to consider the needs of the future as well. So consider voting for Green. Thank you. And finally, the Liberal Democrats, represented by Mike Cox. Thank you. Good afternoon. We're at a historic crossroads in our country. We can leave the EU, a move which would enrich the few and impoverish the many, or we could remain in the EU and gain an immediate boost to the UK economy, where we could rebuild the NHS, our schools and our public services. Since the referendum, we have moved from being Great Britain to Little Britain. The reality of Johnson's Get Brexit Done folly will be a decade of treaty renegotiations. No election promises are worth the paper they're written on if Brexit happens. But there is a more important issue than that, and that's climate change. This is a battle for the survival of our blue planet, and it's a battle we have to win. And unless we and the world act now, this very school could be underwater. Our choices here are clear, they're stark, and they're simple. We can stick with the same MP with the same right-wing policies that he's exposed so far, or you can choose a brighter future with myself, a local resident, a successful charter accountant, a, council, a local councillor, a trustee, and a treasurer to local charities. So let's be frank. No other result is possible in Christchurch. Thank you. Thank you. We'll have to wrap you up there. We are now going to move to the section of debate which uh, has your questions very much. These have been submitted by students from Twynham Sick Form. We will give the candidates one minute each to respond to the question. Uh, in case any members of the audience are in any, any doubt what that question is, you can see it on the screen at the top. Coming up now, though, our first question will be asked by Luke Hewitt. Well, like I said, it's live, isn't it? This is... Uh... <laughs> One of those harsh realities. Never mind, we have the backup. Uh, I have the question I will ask you each. Uh, and we're going to start with Andrew Dunwell have asked it. Should the national minimum wage be raised? Uh, if so, why and to what extent? Andrew, one minute. Um, absolutely, the national minimum wage should be raised. Um, and Labour will bring in a national minimum wage of £10 per hour. That won't just be for the, the older generations and for the over-21s. That will be from when people start work at 16 because we believe that if you do a fair day's work, you deserve to be paid a fair day's wage for it. 
And that money needs to go towards your housing costs, your, your bills, your food, your transport. All of these things mean that you should be paid fairly for the work that you do. And we will make sure that that happens. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Mike Cox from the Liberal Democrats. Uh, yes, I do believe it should be raised. Um, and uh, the reason it should be raised is that it's, a, it's an absolute scandal that in this country you have working people that have, have to go to benefits and have to go to food banks. And that's just completely not acceptable. So the minimum wage does have to be increased and probably increased considerably. Thank you. Thank you. Chris uh, Ridley. Thank you. Yeah, of course it needs to be raised. Um, we would um, increase the living wage to £12 an hour. That would be the target. And not just that, that would be extended as well to 16 and 21-year-olds who actually have a minimum wage considerably less than what anyone over 21 would. Um, it's not just about changing the minimum wage as well and saying what it is. We need to make sure that there's equality within society. So we've also put in and ensure that the maximum wage that anyone in a company earns is no more than 10 times the lowest paid worker in that company as well. So you get more fairness, more distribution of wealth throughout society. Thank you. And now I'm going to start to affect all of us. That's Christopher Chope. The minimum wage under the Conservatives has been raised consistently and that will continue to be our policy. Where we disagree with other political parties, however, is that we don't believe that you should be required as an employer to pay the same minimum wage to a 16-year-old as you pay to somebody who's 22 or 23, because the consequence of that will be that it would be much more difficult for the youngsters to get employment, because they won't be able to be paid less recognising their lack of experience and be an attraction to employers. And the so it will be the, the consequence which nobody would really want, and that is it may make it more difficult for young people to get into employment if we level the minimum wage for everybody from 16 up. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you. We're now going to go on to some follow-up questions. These follow-up questions have been written by me and not shared or screened with anyone. I'm going to start with Chris Rigby. You have pledged to end age-related wage discrimination, so all workers... Uh, over 21, or if that's in your manifesto, I think you said 16, get to receive the same wage. So why would companies still hire young workers if there are potentially more experienced, older workers who they can hire for the same price? You're making an assumption that older workers are more experienced. We have people entering the job market at any age. If you choose to go to university, you'll be coming out at 21. So you could be going into your first job at 21 and demanding a higher wage than someone who's going to their first job at 17 or 18. And actually, there is no difference beyond what you have done for your education. Um, most minimum wage paid jobs tend to be jobs in the service industry. A lot of people get experience very quickly. You can have someone who's 18 who has had two years' experience working. You can have someone who's 25 going in with no experience still demanding a higher wage. There has to be equality. Thank you. So Christopher, we've just heard Chris talk about uh, equality. Why, in your view, should older workers be able, or at least legally able, to receive more than their younger compatriots? Well, I, co I covered this in my earlier early remarks to an, to an extent. But if somebody is in work and has additional needs beyond uh, what they're able to afford from their income, then 
it's much better that the state should subsidise that person as an individual with, for example, tax credits, rather than impose upon an employer an unrealistic demand that that employer pays an unaffordable high wage. Uh, let's go to uh, Andrew. Andrew Dunn, uh, you've proposed a £10 living wage, which would also then become uh, the legal minimum wage. Would that impact people who choose to do apprenticeship straight out into a £10 wage in an apprenticeship when the current average wage is around £3.70? I mean, absolutely it would impact them. Um, and I think we have to get away from this idea that it's, it's only people over a certain age that have, um, have needs and have to pay for things in life. Um, you all have to pay for the clothes on your back your food, your transport, um, you know, going out, trying to enjoy your lives as well when you're young people. Um, and so just saying that this should be for over 21s or for over um, a certain type of job and not apply to everybody, including apprentices, in my view, is completely wrong. mean that less apprenticeships become available? Because obviously if you put the wage up, suddenly uh, employers have to pay out, they'll shell out more, after another sort of £6.30 an hour for their apprentices. Would that surely reduce the amount of apprenticeships on offer and therefore reduce the amount of our young people potentially leaving Twynham uh, or leaving a, a GCSE post-16 uh, and not having the ability to go into an apprenticeship because they're none available? I don't see that as a problem at all. Um, as part of uh, Labour's manifesto, we're offering a green industrial revolution um, that will completely change our energy sector um, from relying on fossil fuels to um, solar power, wind and water. And with that, it's going to uh, bring a massive, a massive change in how our economy runs and the type of businesses that we have. So we will be creating thousands, hundreds of thousands of new apprenticeships and a million more green jobs. And so those jobs will be out there, and the two are very different issues. Thank you. Um, just one recommendation. So we think that the cure to the audio problems is if you hold the microphones. So although the stands are pretty and they sort of stop you from uh, having to hold up something for the, another hour or so, uh, that may just be the cure to the constant interference I'm sure no one in our audience wants to, to continue hearing. Uh, we are going to move on now to our second question. Uh, we're going to go to Millie Gray, who has the second question. Oh, this is uh, a 0% success rate so far on questions. <laughs> but again, never fear, I have the question. Uh, it's an important one. Uh, I'm going to start with Chris Rigby in a moment. What will you and your party do to tackle poor student mental health? Um, what we need to start doing with regards to mental health, and we're saying poor student mental health, but this is poor mental health across the board and the um, help which is available. At the moment, um, mental health and physical health are not treated the same, and mental health and physical health need to be treated exactly the same because they both are joined and they both impact your um, school days, your working life, everyone's life as it is. So all of the mental health funding which we've got is included within the funding which we're going to be putting into the NHS as well. Um, that's going to be increased by six billion a year and also putting a lot of um, healthcare staff back into the community and creating community hospitals and community care centres which are easily available and accessible to everyone. Thank you. Sir Christopher Chope. The most important thing is to ensure that young people have got access quickly to the community mental health services. I've 
uh, know of a number of constituents who have been waiting for many, many months before they can get that access. And that's bad for them, it's bad for their parents, it's bad for the school in which they are, are a pupil. And that, that's, I think, the most important thing, almost to give a guarantee that as soon as somebody is referred for treatment or for examination under, for mental health difficulties, that those people are able to access that advice and treatment very quickly. Mike Cox. The, the Liberal Democrats have put uh, transforming mental health services at the heart of their, their manifesto. It's on the front, front of our manifesto. So that's, that, that means that basically mental health services have to be treated the same as physical health services. Uh, and that's the most important, and that uh, certainly will help deal with the crisis which is currently happening in our universities with young people and mental health. Uh, we, we're also about re reforming the Health and Social Care Act, which has been recommended by the NHS for many years and is yet to happen, which should make the NHS more efficient and joined up in the way it works. Thank you. Andrew Dunn for Labour. In our manifesto, we make mental health a priority, especially for young people. We'll make sure that every secondary school has a mental health counsellor in it and every primary school has access to one. We are going to begin giving the NHS £26 billion worth of extra funding and ensure that everybody has access to the services they need. It's about looking after people, and I work in a youth club and I see the issues that young people face, and we need to make sure that the services are there, available for them, and fully funded and properly staffed. Thank you. Thank you. So Christopher, I'll, I'll come to you first. Uh, you said you know of constituents not being able to get uh, mental health services yet. In the first seven years of the last Conservative government, uh, which could, after a general election, still be a Conservative government, the amount of teenagers who needed mental health treatment, psychiatric treatment, rose to over 17,000, and yet your party cut mental health funding by 538 million. Why is that? Well, they, I, I, don't accept, I don't accept the figures you, you, you've quoted. I don't recognise those, those figures. But locally, lo locally, there's no doubt about it that... It's not debatable that your party cut mental health funding. Well, I, that's, that's may, may not be debatable. But the, what I'm saying is that lo, lo, locally, lo, locally, the uh, mental health services went through a difficult period with the Dorset Healthcare Trust um, being put into special uh, measures. And that was... Had, had an adverse effect upon uh, people in my constituency, and I know that as a fact, and I have been working very hard to try and improve that situation. Um, that, that's, th those, are, those are the local facts. I can't um, speak about what's happened uh, nationally, uh, and the figures that you quote I don't recognise. Okay, well, well, I won't quote any figures in this question, but your manifesto, and this is a quote, uh, actually talks about mental, patient, mental health patients having greater control over their own treatment. What, what does that mean? How will that look in practice? It, it will depend on each case, won't it? It, it will depend on, on at, at the moment, there are people in my constituency who want to get access to mental health quickly, and that means giving them more control over be, whether they are going to be, when they're going to be able to get an appointment, the sort of um, access they want to have, and so on. That's what those words, I think, must mean. Okay. Uh, we'll go to uh, Labour. Your manifesto, you claimed you can recruit 3,500 uh, qualified councillors for every sick form, every school in the country. How will you fund paying their wages? Will the school be expected to pay that, or will a Labour government? No, the government is going to pay for that. Um, our manifesto is fully funded, and every single cost 
um, in it is in our grey book, which, which outlines where the money is coming from. The money will be given to schools, it will be given to local governments to fund the, these resources, because you deserve it. You're the future of this country, and it's you that will, who need the opportunities to discover who you are and what you want to do with your lives, and that's the most important thing. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, Mike, uh, your party, you've said you'll spend £2.4 on mental health. How's that going to be distributed around the country, uh, and how will that look? What effect will that have? Well, it, as, as I said, it's we're going to transform the, uh, mental health uh, services throughout the country. In terms of how it will be, how it will be funded, we've, we're actually putting a penny on income tax in order to, to fund uh, better health services generally, and that's, that's part of it. In terms of how it will be distributed, I'll, we will leave it to the, the medical professionals to decide how it's going to be distributed, but I would have thought it would be on the basis of need. Well, who needs it most? Thank you, thank you. Okay, let's go to our third question this time, and I'm hoping he's here. It comes from James Gray. <laughs> I have a local GP surgery, so the Grove Surgery, any of a sort of local Christchurch surgery, has awful waiting times and awful customer service. How will this be fixed? Mike Cox. Well, it'll be, it'll be fixed by, by more money, to be honest. I mean, the, the, net, the health service desperately needs more money, and we've certainly committed to £35 billion up front by the fact that we're not going to leave the EU. Um, but then we're also putting more money into it by increasing... Um, as I just said before, increasing a put a penny on income tax to pay for a £7 billion investment in the NHS. Um, so it, it will be done through extra resources, which will basically means more money. Uh, and just, just a comment previously, the IFS have, have, have welcomed our man, uh, budget manifesto because it's the only one that adds up, neither the Conservatives or Labour does. Thank you. Uh, our audio system was on the ropes and it has uh, finally been knocked out. Um, there's not a great deal we can do about it. It means that there is only one mic and the radio mic is the only one that will work. Uh, my apologies to all the candidates and, uh, of course, the audience who may uh, at times struggle to have heard uh, what the candidates may have said. Uh, we're going to go to Chris Rigby if we can get the mic to you, Chris. Thank you. Uh, oh, so it's not a unique problem with um, the surgery in Christchurch. It's one which is happening all across the country, everywhere, and it's because of severe underfunding for the NHS. I saw a statistic that every GP has about 3,500 patients registered to them, which is completely unacceptable when people are waiting, needing um, healthcare. So what we're going to be doing is ensuring that there's enough staff to actually deliver the services which are needed by the population. Um, that's going to be covered by different staff as well. Not everyone needs to see a doctor for every problem, so it's ensuring that there's the right number of nurses, the right number of doctors, the right number of support workers in there as well. And also getting rid of privatisation from the NHS, which is crippling it from the inside as well. So reforming the Health and um, Care Act and stopping private companies having involvement and making sure that the NHS locally is being run by the local authorities. Well, each uh, GP surgery is independently run by... <laughs> 
go to go to Andrew Dunn now who hasn't spoken yet. Yes. Thank you. It's ironic really that uh, Sir Chris has talked about adding more nurses into the NHS when it's his party that have taken them out of the NHS. Um, Andrew, just to clarify, I, don't, I think Sir Chris was talking about GPs. And, well, and GPs as well. It's, it's all part of the National Health Service. Labour will give £26 billion worth of extra funding to the National Health Service and we will train more GPs and have more nurses and more staff across the service so that they're there when you need them. A lady I worked with the other day went to make an appointment at her local GP and she has access to three of them. And it's three weeks wait for her to see her GP. She's got an issue that she needs to speak to someone about now and she's having to wait weeks, which is affecting her mental health and is affecting her physical health as well. This is absolutely not right and we will do something about it. We will put the funding there, we will train the GPs, and we will make sure that they're there when you need them. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Andrew, Andrew I'll, I'll stay with you. The last time Labour were in charge of the NHS, the 2013 report, so three years after uh, you left office, found that during Labour's tenure, 13,000 patients had died needlessly. Your party had set up a care agency, and it was then later involved in covering up some of these deaths. Can we really trust you to solve this? I think you can trust us to solve this, uh, to solve this uh, issue and this crisis that we have now, one of the many crises that the Tory government has created. Labour created the NHS back in the 1940s and we will be the party to save it. The Tories have tried to sell it off, they've privatised it, and if Brexit happens under their version of it, then Donald Trump will get his small little hands on it. And that is not what anybody wants at all. Labour absolutely will save the NHS, we will put the money into it, we will fund it, and it will be there for you at your time of need, as it should be. Thank you. Uh, so, Christopher, we've, we've heard a lot about privatisation. We've heard a lot of things being, being flung around uh, that Boris Johnson, if elected, will sell the NHS, he'll put it on the table to Donald Trump. Uh, let's stay with the idea of privatisation. In uh, 20... I'm trying to find it, yeah. In 2014, 2018, sorry, last year, you put forward this private member's bill uh, to encourage co-payment of NHS services. Why did you do that? I, I did that because a number of constituents had come to me and said that they were waiting for a long time to get, for example, hip operations. And rather than 
uh, wait for that length of time, they were saying, well, why, why won't you accept a, a contribution from me, um, that's, the, that's the individual constituent, and so I can put that towards the costs of the NHS, and then it, there'll be a, a double benefit, because I will get my operation more quickly, but the NHS will also get uh, a lower cost, because I will be contributing. That's, that's what co-payment is about, and in a sense, that's what we already have in relation to um, NHS uh, dentistry and eye care services. Would you not accept then uh, that if co-payment was to become a thing, this private member's bill that you're actually infamous for talking out in Parliament uh, had, say, gone through into law, wouldn't that essentially mean that those who are affluent enough, uh, rich enough to pay for these operations, to have them quicker, would get benefit over those who simply aren't? And that doesn't sound like a national health service. That sounds like a private health service where the rich get operations quickly and the poor are made to wait. Tom, I don't think I don't think that's a very fair way of uh, putting it. Surely, surely those who can afford things should take responsibility for those things as far as possible themselves. And, and so, if you are a, a a millionaire, then why should you be dependent upon the health service funded by taxpayers? Why don't you go out there and get your own health care? That's that, that, that seems to be the sensible thing, because if the millionaires are not a burden on the health service, then it means the health service will be available uh, for the people who need it. Thank you, Chris. I saw you shaking your head there. Your thoughts? Um, I'll wait for the mic. I, I'm kind of at a loss for words. When we have a national health service, and the, the way that you talk about that, and the fact what you said is, why should billionaires be a burden on the health service when we still have private healthcare where they can go to a separate place? They don't need to jump the queue in the NHS ahead of someone who is unable to afford it. We need to start thinking and looking at a fair society, a fair community, where everyone takes responsibility for their neighbours and takes responsibility for everyone around them. You can't have people thinking, well, what am I getting? What am I getting? What am I getting? You've got to think, what are we getting and how do we benefit as a society? to get these things. So if people are going to start paying more to <coughs> receive preferential treatments from government services, where does that leave us as a society? Thank you. Um, Chris, you, you very clearly don't trust the Conservative Party uh, with the NHS. Uh, but your ward, your, uh, you're a councillor for Winton East, your ward is home uh, to, although it was recently refurbished, the worst health centre in Dorset, Alma Medical Centre, now Winton Medical Centre. Here are some of the reviews from Winton Medical Centre. Absolutely useless, wouldn't even give one star. Receptionists are rude, obstructive and generally unhelpful. No wonder they're the worst performing surgery in Dorset. This is a true race of public resources. How can we trust you with healthcare in Christchurch, for the whole of Christchurch, uh, when in your ward this service is this poor? Because... As the Green Party at the moment, we are not in charge of that surgery. That is being run by a group of doctors, as Chris Chope said. So how are you standing up we, for those? How are you standing up for people who are affected by the poor level of healthcare? You are their counsellor. I am their counsellor. When people come to me with problems, I address them. People haven't come to me directly and asked about that. If we were to, as I said earlier, take um, the NHS and put it back into the local authority, it'd give the local council a lot more power to be able to make changes within it. Until we actually have that, our, the local authority's powers to do anything is very, very minimal within the surgeries. 
So that is why we want to put community and the local authority back with the NHS, working hand in hand. Thank you. I'm going to have the, uh, the radio mic now. Uh, I don't know if they are all working again. They should be working again. No, they're not. Are they not? Okay, they're not. <laughs> okay, we're going to have to have this around. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mike, I'm going to come to you. One of the effects of stopping Brexit, as your party so wants to do, uh, would be the continuation of free movement around the European Union, but surely it would be the Conservatives' points-based immigration system that means the NHS can get the most skilled doctors, the most skilled nurses, and the most skilled consultants that people in this country really need. Now, one of the, things, one of the criticisms of a freedom of a movement is that uh, we're allowing all these people to come in. Don't forget, it's all your rights to, to freedom of movement across Europe that they're trying to curtail. That's the problem. They're curtailing your rights. It's not everybody else's rights. And yes, we had a, had freedom of movement, and quite right too. At the moment, we're suffering. This country is suffering because people from the European <coughs> Union are going back home. They're fed up with this, this um, hostile environment for, for, for immigration in this country. There are, there are Polish people, Romanians, who are leaving the, the NHS. They're leaving uh, the building sites to go back home. And that is, that is meaning that this, this country is, is suffering because of that. So in that case, if, if people are leaving, they are leaving their NHS jobs to return uh, to uh, their home countries in Europe, surely we should then start accepting, on a points-based system, the most skilled consultants from elsewhere to come and help our patients who need it. We should be accepting them from wherever they come. I haven't got a problem with immigration at all. If, if, we haven't, if, if local people can't do the jobs, uh, are not willing to do the jobs, then we should accept people to do the jobs at the right salary. At, and at the right, you know. Would you accept a points-based system for NHS workers? I, I would prefer to keep with the system we've got at the moment, but there's nothing wrong with a points-based system. It's perfectly legitimate. But what's, there's no problem with actually having people from Europe being part of the European club that we can actually accept those people because they've been doing a damn good job so far. Thank you very much. We're going to move on. Uh, we're going to move on to question four from Lacey Pottle. Who, who is here? Yes, you might want to stand up and, and sort of... You might want to sort of stand up and, yeah. Yeah, thank you. How will your party support alternative energy sources to reduce the demand for fossil fuels? Yeah, I think everyone catch that. Uh, how will your party support alternative energy sources to reduce demand for fossil fuels? I'm going to start with Andrew Dunn. Thanks for the question, Lacey. Um, I think everyone's very clear, and I've mentioned it already, that Labour Party are going to bring about a green industrial revolution. We are going to completely revolutionise how we use energy in this country and how we think about tackling the climate emergency. Because as much as other parties will tell you this is the Brexit election, this isn't. This is the climate emergency election, and it's the most important uh, issue of our time. So the Labour Party will transition away from fossil fuels to uh, wind, solar and water power. We will also tax the fossil uh, fuel companies so that they pay their fair share of the harm and damage they've done to our planet. We're going to build hundreds of thousands of new homes. They will all be properly insulated and properly using green technology. We're also going to insulate and retrofit insulation to everybody's home and install green technology so that everybody could benefit, including uh, making bus buses all electric by 2030 and tackling every single aspect of the environmental climate, the uh, environmental emergency that we face because it's time and we have to do Thank something you, now. I'm going to have to stop you there. Um, if you pass the mic to your left, pass the mic. 
we're going to invest in, in renewable energy. Uh, and so that by the year 2030, it will be 80% uh, of our, our power. That's what, that's what the Liberal Democrats are going to do. We're going to invest in renewable energy, and we already have done. Ed Davey was the uh, Minister for Climate Change, and he invested, when he was in charge, into uh, wind power, offshore wind power, and we're now the world specialist in offshore wind power. And that's, what, that's the opportunity that we have, as part of the European Union, to, to be the, the, the leader in alternative power. And we've already in offshore, we can become in, in, in shore, uh, and we also can be in tidal power. We need to invest in these and become, uh, so that we can change our whole focus, so that at least 80% of our power comes from renewable sources by 2030. Thank you. Uh, Chancellor, one more down to uh, Sir Christopher Choke. This is a subject which is very dear to Boris Johnson's heart. And that's why he has promised that by 2050, the United Kingdom will have net zero emissions. And in so doing, we will be the first major country in the world to achieve that important uh, objective. And we've already been able to develop our offshore wind capacity in this country so that a very high proportion of uh, the electricity generated is actually now coming from offshore uh, wind. Looking at the issue more widely, we also need to ensure that we can adapt uh, to the consequences of climate change because, as we saw in recent news reports last year, global CO2 emissions rose by 0.8%. So they rose as much as the total emissions which we generate in the United Kingdom which shows that this is a problem that's a global one rather than just Thank a national you. one. Thank you. We'll bring it back down to Chris Rigby. Chris Rigby. So, like I said, there is only one Green Party, there's only one party which is going to take this issue really seriously. Andy, it's really nice for you to say you're going to be rolling back the subsidies on fossil fuels as the Labour conference was in part sponsored by BP. Um, the Conservatives have banned um, onshore wind farms by making it more difficult to have planning permission for them. We would completely roll that back and onshore is the cheapest form of energy which we can have. Um, so we'll make it easier for planning. Offshore we are doing really well. Um, we'll bring back subsidies for PV as well and we are aiming to have 70% of the UK's electricity by wind in 2030. The rest is made up by um, tidal and other renewable means. There'll be no nuclear within our policies either, like there are with other parties. Um, we will be removing the subsidies. Oil and gas industries have massive, massive subsidies at the minute, which totally eclipse whatever renewables are getting. So that will completely change. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I've got a question for, for Andrew Dunn. You said that you were going to put a tax on fossil fuel companies because they have... Uh, essentially ruined, uh, in your view, the environment and uh, continue to ruin the environment. How much would that raise and what would it be used for? You said your plan was fully costed. What would, it be, what would that money do? Well, I don't have the exact figures uh, in front of me. Um, as I say, there, there is a, a grey book with all our costings in it um, and those figures will be included in that. But it's investment that we need um, to really make a difference and to tackle this climate crisis head on. There's no point pretending that we can do this on the cheap. There's no point pretending that it isn't going to cost a lot of money to transition our entire economy over to renewable energy 
and better ways of working. And I don't think we should be scared to, save, uh, to spend that kind of money either, because if we don't do it, it's everybody who will feel the effects of it. And even as Sir Christopher said, it's not just us in this country, it's everybody across the entire world. And it's your future, and it will be your children's future who will absolutely suffer if we don't do something about it now. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go to Sir Christopher. Uh, yes. So, uh, Sir Christopher, you have consistently voted against measures uh, to prevent climate change, and you voted for selling England's state-owned forest. Uh, you also put forward a bill to abolish the Department of Energy and Climate Change. Do you actually believe climate change is a threat? I do, I do believe it is a, a threat, uh, but I also believe that the, the consequences of climate change are here, and that there's no point in us putting our heads in the, in the sand and thinking that we can prevent climate change. That's why I want to put the emphasis on adapting to the consequences. You may have seen in the, in the papers, I think, uh, within the last few days, an estimate that whatever happens, uh, in terms of global negotiations, that the sea levels are going to rise by up to one metre around our coast. Now, if that happens, we need to spend money on investment to uh, prevent flooding and to improve those sea defences. And it is, I think, a misuse of resources to spend all our money on uh, dealing with um, emissions rather than actually dealing uh, with the the need to adapt to this very real change. Thank you. You have called climate change legislation virtue, a virtue signal. Do you stand by those comments? Yes, I do, because in a sense that's, that's a... Um, what has happened is that people have been uh, spending a lot of money on these commitments without actually uh, recognising that we as an individual country cannot do anything ourselves other than be a global leader and another example some people will be familiar with is that um, in the last year alone the amount of rainforest that was destroyed in Brazil was the equivalent of the whole land area of Devon and Dorset so in the face of that destruction, thank you. We're gonna, we're gonna, putting a few more trees in the we, ground we, is not we, make much difference. Thank you. We do need to just shift the microphone down the line back to, to Mike Cox. Mike, you uh, I think it's fair to say you didn't look very happy with what was what was being said there. No, it's, I thought it was appalling. You, you have a, in time, a time has been called a dinosaur, Sir Christopher, and 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 in and in, those, and in that respect, you are. You, you're, you're, you want to tackle the consequences of, of climate change, but you don't want to you don't want to actually, you know, tackle the causes of climate change. We've got to tackle the causes. Even if it may be a bit too late. I'm sure it will be a bit too late. You know, we are we are terribly late at this. And we've got to start now and we've got to start big. Thank you. Thank you. We're we're gonna shift on the question. This is uh, question number five comes from Tamzin Kovell. Yeah, question number five from Tamsin Kovell. I don't know if you could hear me. Yes, do you want to sort of shout as loud as you can? And how do you intend to combat homelessness and poverty? So how do you intend to combat homelessness, obviously one major issue, and poverty? Chris Rigby. Thanks. Um, the rise that we've seen in homelessness and poverty over the last 10 years is absolutely outrageous, and it's happened purely because of policies which have been put in place. 
Food bank use has increased massively. I've seen that I think one in 50 households have had to use a food bank, which we can't have in the fifth richest country in uh, the world. What we want to do as the Green Party is introduce something called um, universal basic income, which means regardless of employment status, regardless of age, everyone gets a minimum amount of money every week, which would be um, £78. That would completely replace the benefit system as it is now, which means everyone would start to have their basic <coughs> needs met. It would mean that people wouldn't have to suffer, wouldn't have to be going to food banks and would be able to afford um, to have somewhere warm and safe to call home and to be able to feed themselves. Thank you. Pass that down there. Homelessness is an absolute disgrace to our country and our society. Um, there should be no need for people to be living on the streets. There should be no need for people not to have food on the tables at home and be able to feed themselves. Um, if the Tory manifesto is implemented, child poverty is going to rise to a 60-year high. There are currently... 4 million children uh, who are homeless uh, and 135,000 kids will be homeless this Christmas. It's an absolute disgrace. What Labour are going to do is we're going to end homelessness uh, within the next five years. We're going to put uh, funding immediately available on December 13th to make sure that no one has to sleep rough this Christmas at all. That will be a yearly fund of £100 million over the winter um, period. We're also going to put £600 million into funding hostels and 400,000 home, uh, 4,000 homes will be built specifically for homeless people and to make sure that they have the services uh, that are available to them to not only get themselves off the street but to then move on and tackle the issues that they may or may not have and uh, make a better use of their life. I work with the food thank bank you, here Andrew, in, in Christchurch as well. Thank you, there, but thank you very much. You'll pass down the line to Mike Cox. Homelessness and poverty, it's an absolute tragedy that we're talking about this. In the fifth, we are the fifth largest economy in the world. And why on earth so many people are having to live on the streets is just appalling. And frankly, I'm ashamed to be part of the generation that's made that happen. The, um, in terms of tackling it, you, we're going to have to build new homes, social homes, for people to live in. We're going to have to increase the, the, the minimum wage so that people can live. And, I've, and actually, I've, I have no idea whether this is in our, our manifesto or not, but I have a huge amount of sympathy for this universal income that people should have. I think there's, a, there's an awful lot of, to be said for that. So, you know, I, that's, that's, the, that's the way I would go down it. And, and in terms of the, uh, the homelessness, a lot of the people who are homeless suffer from mental health problems. And that is a key focus of our manifesto, where we need to spend an awful lot more money. Well, one way of dealing with homelessness is to increase the number of homes, and that's why the Conservative Party is committed to a major house-building program. And I think it's nothing short of a scandal that in this conurbation, the BCEP conurbation, there are between 11,000 and 12,000 houses for which planning permission has been given for development, but which have not yet been developed. And that, I think, is something that should be being addressed by our local uh, councillors. So far as uh, poverty is concerned, the best route out of poverty is through employment. And that's why the Conservative government is so proud of the fact that we have 
got record rates of people in work and reduced rates of unemployment. And that means that there is less poverty as a result. And we changed the benefit system so that whereas before, as soon as uh, you got a job if you were unemployed, you then found yourselves uh, without any money for the next four weeks while you were wait waiting uh, to get your first paycheck. We change that so that there is no longer that disincentive to actually get a job if you haven't got one already. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Well, we don't have uh, time, we don't have time irritatingly to go into any further detail on that, but we do have time, thankfully, uh, in the last sort of five, six minutes of this. We're all going to start to briefly wrap it up to have a few of your questions put directly to the candidates. But uh, we can really only do this uh, if you work with me. Um, we don't we don't even have one mic, and again, I really do apologise because this was meant to be your microphone, this was meant to be something you could interact with the politicians. Sadly, our sound system has not held up uh, as well as we wanted it to, so my apologies. I think we promised a bit more interaction than you've been able to have. Uh, I want to come down here, though. This could be embarrassing. It's on camera as well. Um, I got 250 quick by falling over there on you in the frame, but um, let's find someone who wants to ask a question. If you want to ask a question, put your hand up, make sure it is suitable. Uh, remember you're on camera, I guess. Uh, let's come down here. Yes, this is a high-risk manoeuvre, yes. Yes, your name, sir? My name is Jack Collins. The <laughs> um, question for Mr. Rick that I have is, um, the 78, 78 pounds you're giving, what about those who are just going to use it to buy drugs? There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a big assumption made about homeless people, but... It's not a problem we can ignore. There is a, a lot of black market trade going on, and it is a problem with the homeless. So, your thoughts? I'm going to give you the mic. Sure. Oh. Thank you. Um, if we start to think that everyone's going to get money in their hands and they're immediately going to turn around and go and buy drugs, then you've, you've got to sort of give it another thought. Interestingly, it does um, lead on to another Green Party policy, which we have, which is the um, decriminalisation of all drugs and actually treating drug use as a what it is an addiction problem, not um, criminalising people for using drugs and actually going after the criminal gangs who bring drugs into the country and uh, deal with them. We would also look at ways such as porch was done, where there are safe spaces to take drugs, where some drugs become legalised as well. And that has actually seen crime massively, massively fall in all the countries where that has happened. Thank you. Thank you. I'll come down this side again. Once more, hands up if you wish to ask a question. Uh, let's come down this side first. Freddie, I can see you. Um, for So, basically, we're going to top the, uh, tax the top 5% of earners. If you earn eight, over £80,000, we're going to ask you to pay a little bit more. But an example of that is if you earn £82,000, we're going to ask you to pay just £8.30 more. That's less than you pay for a haircut, that's less than you pay for your Netflix subscription. We're also going to uh, increase corporation tax um, to, to ask them to pay a little bit more to shoulder the burden. This doesn't take it as high as other EU countries, 
And so the argument that the Tories make that you'll see capital flight from the country is a complete non-starter because they can't go to France, they can't go to Germany and other places and, and have it any easier. We're also going to make sure that big businesses like Amazon that do massive, massive revenues all across the world are paying their taxes for the business, for the business that they do here. It's only right and proper that if you're making money here, you pay your taxes here. Just like we all do, big business should do as well. much. Uh, we do not have time for any more, unfortunately. I know it's a, sort of a groaner, you can see the end of the film and suddenly you want more. Um, of course, our thanks, uh, as not only for myself, not only for everyone who's been involved, uh, put it on from Will on the camera, uh, James, Frankie, Marco, everyone who's helped me out, uh, and the sound guys at the back, who have made a noble effort to set up actually quite a lot of technology. Um, obviously, sadly, that has uh, departed uh, early. Rest in peace, five microphone set up, it didn't quite work out as we wanted. But our biggest thanks goes to you, the audience, coming along, uh, asking your questions, supporting, and of course to our candidates and a round of applause for all of them. Uh, realistically, none of them actually have to do this, none of them have to come here and listen to your concerns, it's because they very much want to, they understand you are the next generation. I'm going to hand over, that's all from me, I'm going to hand you over to Mr Taylor. I'm not used to, to using the mic in front of you guys. Can I, um, can I just finally um, express my thanks uh, to our four candidates? No matter what you, you guys think, no matter what persuasion you're going with uh, next week, those of you that are eligible to vote, what I can guarantee you today is that all four of our candidates have treated you with real integrity. They have not tried to jump down any answers. They have treated with you, with you with the respect that you deserve. And for that, they deserve our thanks. So can you thank them once again? But uh, I do know that uh, the final round of applause will need to go to Tom because he has done an awesome job of bringing you guys together and moderating this afternoon. So thank you.